The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. In this episode, we dive into the topic of teas and gynecology. We go deep with naturopath and owner of Apotheca, Anthea Kalouris. Anthea opens up about the wonderful benefits of drinking tea and how she goes about creating her teas, including her latest range inspired by Greece. A little bit about Anthea. Well, she has a well-steeped history. This year marks 26 years of her naturopathic clinical practice. She graduated as a naturopath, homeopath and herbalist at the end of 1994. Anthea opened her first clinic in Paddington, Sydney, called Out of the Earth Health and Beauty Clinic. After 10 years of clinical practice, she opened Ovio, the organic health and lifestyle store and naturopathic clinic in a quaint little Paddington corner store, reminiscent of an old-fashioned apothecary and tea house. From this space, she was inspired to create her own brand of certified organic teas, tisanes, herbs and spices and elixirs. Ovia Organic Teas soon became Australia's premium organic tea company, served in the best restaurants, cafes and hotels across Australia. Tea aficionados and herbal newcomers alike delighted in a whole unprocessed, aromatic and gustatory sipping experience. In 2012, Anthea released I Am Food, guidebook and companion recipe book. In this book, she explains how to unscramble the scramble and transition from eating processed foods to eating the food that's best for your body, soul, and the planet. After 16 years of creating and nurturing her beloved Ovio, she birthed a new brand, Baby Apotheca by Anthea. Apothecary originates from the ancient Greek word apotheca, apotheki, a dispensary of botanical remedies. It was a place where women could be healers. She launched a new collection of everyday drinking teas and tisanes, followed by a collection of naturopathic and botanical remedies, elixirs, tonics, and lifestyle products. So in this episode, I ask Anthea a few questions. Why did she get into developing teas in the first place? What is the difference between teas and tisanes? How does she choose her first ingredient in each tisane? How should we store our teas? Does the water used need to be boiled to a certain temperature? Are drinking vessels important? And what would an Anthea Kalouris tea ceremony look like? If a woman is having an embryo transfer, what tea would Anthea give her in the lead up to and on the day of this procedure and why? We discuss how we like our teas and we discuss her latest female tisan, the graces, ingredient by ingredient. From sage to rose petals. I hope you enjoy our chat. Anthea Kalouris, my fellow Greek queen. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm super well. Isn't it nice to have this time together and share and speak about the things that we love? I know, and I think at the essence of that is probably a lot of um, pride and love of the Greek language and our heritage, I would think. Yeah, very, very much so. And, and, and also taking us out of just how we will fall, always fall into the Mediterranean diet as being the healthy diet, that there's so much more to our Greek origins as well that we can bring forward and share and I think, you know, that's why, and we'll get to it, like what's inspired my latest collection of, of teas and disdains, the Greek gods and goddesses of, of ancient Greece. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Why did you choose Apotheca? Is yeah. it Apotheca or Apotheca as a name for your new a- business? Yeah, a- Apotheca. And I've kept the name by Anthea, and I think it's just so people know that it's re- related to me and then it can take off and I can – Drop, drop my name, perhaps, I'm not sure. But apotheca comes from the word apothecary, which we often relate to as the word dispensary, um, a place where you can dispense almost like an old-fashioned pharmacy dispensary of medicines. And for me, apothecary dates, because it dates back to ancient times, um, 
I mean, in traditional Greek language, it means it can mean also warehouse or a place where things are kept. But apothecary, um, and when you see lots of apothecaries in Europe, means it's a dispensary of pharmaceuticals or medicines or herbal medicines. And that's kind of synonymous with that Greek, the green symbol, isn't it, that you see in Europe? Mm-hmm. Which I, I love seeing. So yeah, me too. Why, what made you get into teas? I mean, I know you're a herbalist, but not all herbalists get into teas. No. It, was it a love of tea? Like are you a tea drinker versus a coffee drinker? Tell yeah. us more. I grew up drinking tea and I don't know if your yeah, yeah, your grandmother and your mum also gave you tea, but we had aniseed as babies almost like an alternative to gripe water for colic and wind and tummy upset and for sleep. We grew up on chamomile. We grew up on fennel seed. So we grew up with teas, but also I had a mentor that I worked for as I, as I was studying naturopathy at the age of, started at 18, 19 years of age. My mentor had a herbal tea company. So I thought, this this is good. I love tea I grew up drinking tea I'm studying to become a naturopath and herbalist what a beautiful modality or offering of the things that I love to dispense which is plant medicine botanical medicine and so easy to use teas and tisanes as a medicinal you know transmitter of good if you like um you know trans transferring like illness to to health or balance. It's so simple and easy that people can do at home. You said teas and tisanes. Now, can you explain the difference between those two? Well, tea traditionally comes from the Camellia sinensis plant, which is the tea plant, T-E-A. And that is the same as green tea, white tea, yellow tea, oolong, black teas. So the tea plant traditionally contains caffeine, whereas a tisan or tisane or a herbal infusion, in Australia we call them herbal teas, are usually caffeine-free and they're made from herbs and botanicals, whereas TEA is actually made from one tea plant. In Australia we just call everything tea. In Europe, and I think also in the States, they call them infusions, herbal infusions or tisanes or tisans. Mm, to sound sounds so posh. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but for the for the for the um the purpose of of our podcast today, are you happy if I just say teas? Yeah. 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 So obviously, you've been in the business of de- developing teas for a very long time. Um, mm. Do you dream up of like tea concoctions in your sleep? How do you come up with tea blends? That is a very good question, and yes, I do. I will dream of them. I'll be inspired via many avenues. I could be walking through a park. I might look at a herbal garden. I might be in the art gallery. It doesn't really matter. It's how they come about is the need. So what feeling or experience do I want to impart? What something tastes like, um, what it looks like, So there's many things that inspire a tea blend. Also traditionally how those herbs and ingredients go together to create a medicinal action. Sometimes, you know, I might think this ingredient and this ingredient will work well, but you put it together and they don't taste very nice. Mm. So it has to smell good, taste good, so the aroma has to be right. It has to offer a therapeutic benefit, whatever I'm creating as a naturopath herbalist, has to look good, feel good, and, and work. So, you know, the, you know, my team here, they will try and test and, you know, if we're saying something is good for the bowels, does it work for the bowels? If we're saying something is calming, is it calming? And, and what's the research behind the ingredients? And what has worked in, you know, 26 years of clinical practice as well for me. So lots of things go into a blend. So you obviously have a few testers and they're usually people that you work with or um, or is your group a a posse of people. Okay, I was going to ask how many people do you test your teas on before you actually make it an official tea? Yeah, and then sometimes, you know, patients will come in and say, try this blend. So because we see lots of patients, we say, try this blend, this is new, what do you think? What do you feel like it, it offers you? 
Have you had any specific people or patients that you see inspire a specific tea blend? Um, A while ago I had a a team member that wanted something for sugar craving and she had an idea and I created something with vanilla and lemon myrtle and it tasted lemony and heaven-like and it was super delicious so sometimes you know there'll be a request why don't we create this or could you create that um and then you see what patients need and you know we can create lots of digestive teas but for instance when i created the graces i knew i didn't have something for anxiety pms perimenopause in my collection and so i've been really sitting on that female to for a long time and I wasn't sure until it just came to me what I was going to create and something that was uh that everyone could drink as well in that space that it wasn't was palatable to everyone because that's the other thing you want as many people to enjoy it but you can't cater to every taste bud and would you say all of them are palatable um, even when they're cold? Because what, what I've been doing mm-hmm. in, in, in taste testing your teas is that I've had them warm and cold and I've found that um, they all taste pretty good cold. But yeah. are the, are the, um, is the benefit more when they're warm rather than cold? Because I know that the, in Chinese medicine they recommend mm-hmm. you don't have anything cold really. Yeah, especially digestive teas. I wouldn't have anything cold there so I think any of the like something like harmonia or meadow the blends that have aromatic spices like clove and cinnamon or ginger and chamomile we want to have those as warm teas Um, that is exactly right and the ones that are refreshing and uplifting you can have hot or cold anything with licorice root and peppermint and lemongrass and lemon myrtle I think they can you can have them hot or cold it's an it's an individual thing but I generally say anything for the digestive system nervous system have more as a warm to hot tea and when you brew water boil water Mm. for tea um, mm. I, I was kind of flabbergasted a while ago. I was at a friend's house and, and she's in mm. massively into um, Japanese green tea and yeah. she said it needs to be boiled water to a specific temperature and she mm. had a fancy smeg kettle that did this for her and I was just blown yeah. away. I'm like, they, these kettles actually exist? Um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, do you brew your tea, your, your water like that? You know, in the... Not the early days, but halfway through my tea career when we saw those fancy kettles come about because they haven't always existed, we kind of played around with them. What we say is water needs to be boiled completely and then we let the uh, the boiled water settle and we let it settle and not pour directly over delicate ingredients. So whether it's the you know the tips of green tea white tea kind of really precious expensive ingredients that are leaves or flowers that could basically get burnt or their oils the essential oils destroyed with extreme heat but with a robust black tea um, or just a general green tea or aromatics like cinnamon and ginger you can pour boiling water on those because you need a really good extraction from those that's fascinating it is science isn't it science it's the science of tea making and also how long you steep a tea for depends on what kind of tea ingredient it is so those hardier um, ingredients like cinnamon and clove, any bark, seeds or pods, they they require a longer steep time because they're hardier ingredients, with, whereas flowers and leaves require a shorter steep time. Mm-hmm. So anything from one to three to five minutes, a longer steep time can be five to seven to ten minutes. Um, and that's where there's another word that we use in, in herbal tea making or tea making is um, a decoction where you actually simmer or boil the tea ingredients. So a lot of chais you mm. can simmer in milk because they've got those really hearty ingredients and you want to steep it long and really extract the, the flavour. But chais we can make into, into decoctions. Um, 
So that's where you simmer in water or milk. And what kind of vessel do you like to drink your tea from, mm. Anthea? What do you um, do? You have like a special teacup? Do you have a, a yeah. few special ones? Because I think that really adds a a different kind of dimension to to drinking tea. It does. So at home, I have different things than what I have here at work. At, at work, I like drinking sometimes out of glass teacups. So I like looking at the the color of mm. the tea. Um, so sometimes I'll drink out of a um, a clear glass cup, like one of those soul cups. Um, and I haven't been paid to say that when I say that. I just like the very really thin glass or the Kinto glass teacups. Um, at home, I've got a really nice floral um, tea set. So I like. I also I collect you know beautiful vintage teacups and saucers. So, so it depends what mood I'm in. I'm either going to go very minimalist, Japanesey, hmm. um, ceramicy, or glass, or old fashioned bone china. And how it best changes. do we store tea? I think it should be stored in a vessel that seals. Um, either if it's a jar, it should be amber jar. If it's glass, it should be in a very dark cupboard. I know you can buy teas and tisanes in in glass jars, but you'll notice that the colour fades of the ingredients. And tea shouldn't be exposed to um, bright lights and oxygen. So it should be sealed correctly. So either a tin with a good seal on it or a screw top jar an amber jar preferably, and that's why we've got amber jars, screw top, that you can leave it on the bench and if it's exposed to light, the amber glass will protect it or keep it in the cupboard. And how long should, um, you know, what, what, within at what space of time should we be drinking that tea or making use of those beautiful teas? Two, I three months? I think you can, you know, within a year, with their tea ingredients have longer expiry dates, you know, three to four years, but it's, it just depends how you store it and how you handle it and the temperature in the kitchen, it will alter the taste and flavour. I would say within a year, but it should last longer if it's sealed correctly and it hasn't been exposed to too much light or oxygen. And how about tea cultures that you identify with, um, there are, you know, lots of different tea cultures. There's J- Japanese tea culture, there's mm. Chinese tea culture, the British tea culture, even Australia has a tea culture. Yeah. Um, is there one that you identify with? I think, you know, being Australian, British tea culture is something we've adopted here and, yes, and then we're influenced by Japanese and Chinese tea culture um, I mean, the aesthetics of Japanese tea um, really um, is something that I am aligned to as well. I don't know. It's kind of it's a bit of a mishmash, really. Sometimes I always wonder that, like, what is it? What? Who have we adopted? I feel like we've like it because Australia is so multicultural. We've adopted lots of different things, even in our cooking, and but even in tea, I think. And how about if there was an Anthea Caloris tea ceremony, what would that look like? Can you describe that to us? Have you thought about that one? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have. I think what's really beautiful if, is is you choose your favourite vessel to steep your tea, so your favourite teapot, teacup, um, a tea tray, and again, it doesn't have to be old British English looking. It can be a beautiful Japanese bamboo tray. I'm not sure, something like that, and and making it ceremonial in that tea is different to coffee. Tea, coffee's on the go, and it's fast, and it's loud, and it's go go go. Whereas tea is a moment to consolidate, to reset, to restore. So. That's when I think ceremonial, it's because you're giving yourself time and you're honouring and respecting your time and giving back to self. But tea like that can also be connection with some someone. So tea and sympathy always go hand in hand mm. together or let's have a cup of tea together. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I think it's, it's how it's prepared, it's how it's served. It's honouring that space and time to enjoy your tea. And what's... Anthea Caluris's favourite tea? 
Do you have one? <laughs> Just one. You can. I don't. I'm not going to oh give you the option God. of top three or four here. No, no. It's going to be harder than no, that for no. you. What is your favourite tea? <gasps> that is. Can I say a tea blend? Sure. So at the moment, and this could only last for another week, but at the moment, we have been the whole team and I. We're pretty excited about our Apollo tea. Apollo is the god of medicine and so much more, but Apollo is my immunity tea. I wanted a really robust immunity tea and I'm loving it so much because it tastes like um, eucalyptus and lemon myrtles and there's sweetness and then you have these hibiscus notes and it's it's just delicious. And it's the ginger in it. Oh. And the ginger in it is just good and we ste- we like steeping it strong and it's, Quite mm. robust and yummy. We just drink it all day. More mm. about our uh, Apollo in our, our next episode. Mm. Um, how about milk in your tea? Yes or no? No, but sometimes if I want an extra treat, I might put really some nice almond milk in black tea, but generally I usually have my tea black. Black. And milk would only go in a black tea mm. or, a, or a dandelion chai of some kind. How about sugar? Sugar in your tea? No, no I'd I'd choose a little bit of um, good quality honey before I put sugar in tea. Mm. And I never put honey in herbal in herbals, but in a black tea, if I feel like a treat, I'll put a little mm. smidge of honey in it. And do you choose manuka honey? Are you mindful of what honey you add? Yeah, and the reason being is because I don't want. If I'm going to use manuka honey medicinally, then I know it's going to taste like manuka and the, and the whole tea is not going to taste mm. like the tea itself. So just a really simple yellow box, something really that doesn't have much flavour. It has honey flavour but not um, one of those strong medicinal teas where um, the bees have been pollinating mm. on thyme. And like those Greek and, teas, those yeah, Greek gum honeys that are just honey, amazing. <laughs> they're so robust mm. there. You can really taste the medicine in the honey. What's that tea, the mountain herb that the bees yeah, pollinate there? The, the, um, Ironwort. Oh, I, I love that tea called. so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, can you can buy it at Coles, I think, and, uh, and it's, it's imported okay. from Greece. Yep, yep. Oh. I've bought a few friends that and um, mm. highly affordable and so Greek. Yeah. yeah. So Greek. Now, what's the strangest I mean, thing you've ever seen in mm. someone add to their tea? <laughs> that is so funny. I think I've probably seen people do all sorts of things. Um, sometimes when I, sometimes when I see them, I know this doesn't seem too strange, but when they add sugar to a tea that already tastes sweet, mm. like because licorice naturally tastes sweet, and I see them add more sugar to a licorice blend, there's no need to do that. Um, and sometimes. You know, people will add, you know, like I've seen people do all sorts of things from adding, you know, kefir drink or or coconut water. Mm. But each to their own. Each to their own. I'm a bit more (laughs) traditionalist. I remember one of my uh, friends, her her ex-husband, added ice cubes to his tea. Mm. It wasn't just water, like. What from the tap? Ice cubes. So he'd ask mm. for his tea to be served with ice cubes. <laughs> so he was making an, a kind of iced tea. Yeah. Well, maybe it was just but a it, super quick way of him, yeah, you know, cooling it. it. Yeah. yeah. Very, yeah, very interesting. interesting. Totally. <laughs> now, um, before we move on to the graces, which is mm. the first tea I wanted to talk about that mm. you've launched, um, with the fertility company that I'm currently working with, City Fertility, uh, when I first joined them, I noticed that there were times when they would give patients tea to drink on the day of embryo transfer um, and for, it was tea that they, they would take home and it was from Korea and uh, I was always interested in finding out what exactly was in that tea because um, mm. my question was, oh, okay, someone's having an embryo transfer, is there something that we, we could be giving in that tea uh, that could be pro-implantation? Um, mm. What tea would you give in the lead-up to and on the day of someone's embryo transfer if you were to be able to give a tea and why? 
Um, that is a really good question. I don't know what the Korean tea would be that is given, but for me, when I think about an embryo transfer and I think about the patients that I have and how they're feeling, anything that would evoke calm and balm to their nervous system, I think is the most important thing. So any tea that is nourishing and soothing, such as lemon balm, chamomile, lavender, rosemary, sage, uh, any even the carminatives, those kind of teas that are nourishing the enteric nervous system like aniseed and fennel, even dill and caraway, those kind of things. Anything very soothing mm. and balming because it can be a stressful experience. There's so much anticipation and so much worry and concern. Will this work? That's beautiful. Calm and balm. Calm and balm. And it would be something not just on the day. It'd be something leading up to almost prescribed medicinally that drink this three times a day, every day, get really grounded, centered, regulate your nervous system because we're about to, because you want to be in a more counterbalanced state to fight flight. I don't know if you ever have heard this. I mean, I'm sure you know as a doctor that counterbalance to fight flight is rest and digest. Mm -hmm. But for women, I always say rest and digest and nest mm. because that is the time when you're in the most, the, the most important time to conceive or easy time to conceive or to implant an embryo is in a rest and digest state the counterbalance of fight flight so i always tag on rest digest nest yeah i love that and and you know there is uh, quite a, a lot of good evidence that shows that women especially in the week in the lead up to their periods uh, do become a, a little bit less social. They do want to stay at home. They do want to mm -hmm. actually be more crafty at home. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the effects of progesterone on the brain, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. And so biologically, I think it actually makes sense that women actually, you know, look at their cycle and go, hey, you know, that weekend, oh, I'm going to be three days away from my period. Maybe I shouldn't run around like crazy like I used to mm -hmm. and kind mm -hmm. of respect where they are in the menstrual cycle and Correct. accept that if they do feel a little bit down, it's actually quite normal. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I just love that whole thing about nesting as well because it's, it's, mm. it's, it's a real thing and, yeah, we need to savour it. And having a nice cup of tea to do that with is even extra special. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Now, moving on to the graces. So mm. it's your female tazan. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I've got the box in front of me. It's a nice brown mm -hmm. box with a beautiful um, sticker on it, label with it with the, um, a Greek goddess. Am I, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. and yep, you've she's got one here, of them. Mm, yeah, she's uh, you've got here a PMS and perimenopause blend inspired by the Greek mythological graces called Aglea, uh, which is shining, Ephrosyne, which is joy, and Thalia, which is blooming. And I love that. Mm. And um, in that, you've got some ingredients and I thought we'd go through uh, these mm. ingredients and, and I want to ask you why you chose them. Um, yeah. You Actually, before we dive into the ingredients, does the first ingredient mean it's the one that's um, predominant in the actual mix? Is it like uh, when you go shopping for food and you look at the ingredients, yeah. the first ingredient predominates? Usually, but sometimes the first ingredient might be the same dose as the second or third ingredients. So it's, yes, it's usually the most, the most dominant of the ingredients, but it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be the most dominant flavor because mm. you put the one that weighs the most. So the most volume is usually what goes first, but rosemary in this case could have gone first or lavender could have gone first because the volumes were the same. Mm. Um, but the flavor just because there's either more of it doesn't necessarily it will have more of that flavor because essential oils and different ingredients can o overpower other things. So we know that with food as well. So salt might be the last ingredient, but you could add a little bit more too much salt. And even though it, salt is all you'll taste, it's still the least amount of everything else that you put into a meal. 
if that makes sense, because that is a very good question that often people think, oh, this would just taste like sage. Mm. And yeah, no, I was it curious. Doesn't. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, explaining. Good question. Yeah. Mm. So you've got sage, and, and that's a Greek favorite. Tell us more about mm. sage leaf. Sage tastes a bit like the mountain tea in on the Greek islands. To me, it's got that very Mediterranean flavor to it. Sage in herbal medicine, we use for heat. Um, we use it for hot flushes. So women, as you know, premenstrually can experience that real heat, hot flush just before their periods. They can feel very overheated. Um, so it's very cooling sage. It's a very good digestive aid. It's very good antiseptic for sore throats. But I've I've used it because it's quite cooling, and it's it's soothing in the in the sense that it's it feels soothing to the to the throat to the mucous membrane lining of the throat that lovely antiseptic property, but it's also very soothing to the gut. So it's not like, for instance, chamomile is very um much indicated for a nervous gut or an irritated gut, but it has close enough qualities and properties to it that way. Do you ever hmm. burn sage? I do, and that's another reason why it's in there. I've used it for energetic and spiritual clearing. Yeah, I use that a hmm. lot. It's, my, it's yeah. my, probably um, my number one thing to kind of burn Be at the end of the day. Out. Yeah, <laughs> so... Sage as an ingredient, the intention is that also. And that's why I've put there the aroma on the website. I've got aroma woodsy herbal floral incensey. It's it's what you'd expect her to taste like, the graces. Mm, I love it. It's going, it's mm. giving tea a different dimension talking about it this way. Mm. Um, rosemary leaf. Tell us about rosemary. So rosemary is for remembrance. We know that on Anzac days we wear rosemary on the lapels, or Anzacs do, and so it increases circulation to the head area. It's a very good vasodilator, so it's really good for constrictive headaches. So it helps open up the blood vessels, vasodilate. Um, but it's also a lovely digestive aid, so it helps the digestion of fats. That's why you find like sage and chicken together or rosemary and lamb together these herbs traditionally we wouldn't have known the science behind them but they marry well together to support digestion not just a flavor profile but they help stimulate bile flow so they help us emulsify fats so they help us better process fats so sage and rosemary are very good um, for the tummy in that sense, in, in that they support digestion in that sense. Um, but rosemary's just good for anxiety, headaches, kind of that head congestion. Mm. I was reading um, a medical journal a while ago about mm. rosemary being applied topically as an essential oil Um it was a study in mice, though. It was about looking at, at ways of um, increasing hair growth in men, and they were doing animal mm. studies, and they mm. found that um, because it's a vasodilator, it may increase blood flow to the scalp and hence increase mm. hair production. But obviously we're not giving this uh, tea, rosemary leaf, uh, you know, as, as part of this tea to help women's hair growth, I'm assuming, because <laughs> no. most people want to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and rosemary, that would be mm. applied topically on the scalp, the essential oil, I imagine. That's what they're talking about. That's right, about. yep. Yeah, yeah. Different effect internal. Now, lavender flower. Who doesn't love lavender? I know. Mm. Some and people don't, just, actually. Some people don't, but mm. it's just subtle. In this blend, you taste it, but it's more florally. Um, oh, my gosh. I mean, it's such... When I look at it and I smell it, it is an instant sedative for me and I hope that it does calm and balm an individual when they drink it. And I think that's why I love it as a PMS perimenopause blend. So it's very good for anxiety. Um, some people say, can it make you feel more depressed if it's more sedating? I don't think it would do that um, 
because it's not strong enough to do that. Sometimes we don't put lavender in antidepressant fibrotonics, for instance. We might put something a bit more rejuvenating and uplifting. So you could still drink this if you're feeling sad or depressed. It wouldn't push you further into that and put you in a in a dissociative state where you numb out completely. It's I think it more has a recalibrating effect on the nervous system. And lavender, like sage and rosemary, really good digestive support. So really good for and when we say digestive support, they just help us better digest so we can extract nutrients so we don't have um, that kind of bloating and tummy soreness or discomfort, which usually happens that sensation when we're in fight-flight mode. So what we're trying to do with this blend is counterbalance fight-flight, rest, digest, nest, recalibrate the nervous system, ground, feeling that sense of comfort and safety. Do you ever cook with lavender? Do you ever use culinary lavender? If I'm making, you know, if I'm going to make a rice pudding, um, putting lavender with an orange peel and maybe a cinnamon quill is delicious. Mm, wow. I think I need to try that. What is Zogalo? You're talking about yep. the, oh, yep. goodness. Mm. It's so heaven and you can have that at night time <laughs> or just, yeah, or even like beautiful organic lavender flowers steeped in milk and simmered up and you can drink that before bed is good. Yeah, I've had that a few times. Uh, I get a, mm-hmm. I get some from um, a group in Tasmania, mm, lavender beautiful. farmers, yeah. And the lavender you can also buy as a capsule now. Um you for can. for sleep, people can buy it in the in the chemist and, and pharmacy. Correct. So I, I love it when you can actually see that movement of you know herbs into pharmacies, and yeah. it, when it kind of almost becomes standard and routine, just like ginger yes. and you know travel calm. If you get travel yeah. sickness, hey, take a ginger supplement. If you don't want to um, <laughs> chew on a bit of of ginger, I just love it so yeah. much. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, peppermint mm-hmm. leaf. So I remember when I was a resident and at uh, at RPA uh, during my surgical terms well, a lot of the time we would we would recommend peppermint um, added to people's water um, mm. after they've had surgeries and and um, yeah it's 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 a, definitely a medicinal uh, what's the role of peppermint leaf in the um, graces tea design a cooling again and um, digestive supporting and it has some slight antibacterial action, but it just helps with nausea and that kind of tummy discomfort that can happen either premenstrually or perimenopausally. Women experience different types of symptoms then. So it's just, just really cooling and settling to the digestive system, but cooling and settling to the nervous system but at the same time the menthol in peppermint and we've got a very good high quality peppermint where just on its own the menthol is extraordinary it can just help clear ahead as well it, it works beautifully with rosemary so this blend is very good generally for headaches mm, which a lot of women complain of in the second half of their cycle yeah exactly and rose petal mm. Because it's beautiful and pretty and who doesn't like the taste of rose? Because this is something you add in because it's visually divine and it's very feminine and it evokes feminine energy. I love it. Um, but I love the flavour of rose. Um, I, I like drinking just straight-up rose tea. I think that's the Greek in me. Like we like rose-flavoured things, cakes or rose-flavoured mm. drinks and rose sorbet and this kind of thing. Um it's it's to add attractive appeal and feminine femininity. I mean, rose is used for anxiety as an ingredient, mm. which again mm. becomes more common in the second half. Interesting. Correct. Correct. And rose geranium. Oh, so special! This feels very Greek inspired as well. My so I don't know if you know rose geranium is the same thing as gyuli. No. So it's something that the Greek ladies use in cake making. They will scent a syrup with gyuli, which is rose geranium, mm. leaves and flowers. 
And if you poured it out, you would recognize the scent of it. My mum grows our rose geranium, though I'm happy to buy it from anyone who's wildcrafted organic. It's, it's a very special hard ingredient to obtain. Um, again, for anxiety, mood, regulation, it's delicious. I think people know the scent of rose geranium oil, essential oil, mm. and I'm using the leaf and the flower and the tea and it's special quite beautiful and what now, part of Greece are your parents from they're from Cyprus oh you're a Cypriot yes lovely Greek Cypriot yes. Greek Cypriot yeah now going back to the teas um how many times a day could I drink the graces how many three times or four times a day three or four times yeah and that would be a hydrating fluid so that would, could replace water yeah yeah because it's hydrating I suppose the only problem is is when people start adding a lot of sugar to their teas and if they have three or four Correct. teas a, dra- a day, it's an issue, but yeah. Correct, yes. And any time mm-hmm. of day, I suppose, does it um, matter any time? Any time of day. And this, uh, and re- the graces, is that one specifically for the peri- like um, the second half of the menstrual cycle or can I have it every mm-hmm. day in, throughout the cycle if I'm can, having regular you, cycles? You can have it every day, but I would keep it in that pre-menstrual so you don't a you don't get sick of the flavor though I don't think you could but I would keep it unique and special to that um, mid-cycle to period Um, and and the same in perimenopause which I don't know I mean I'm in perimenopause stage and honestly stress exacerbates these kind of symptoms but perimenopausal symptoms can feel worse than PMS symptoms Mm. I think it's the most difficult time for a woman, the perimenopause. Um, I do too. Yeah. I actually very much do. I had no idea until I entered this phase. Mm-hmm. Lara Bryden, who is a naturopath, mm. uh, has written a book about it called Hormone Repair Manual and I've just um, – <laughs> Very I was, good. I was, yeah, very grateful to have read it at, before it came out and um, – mm. Stay tuned, people, because Lara's going to come up on the podcast in hopefully this year sometime. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, the exciting. perimenopause, I mean, I'm perimenopausal, of course, being I'm a 46-year-old mm. woman and mm. people um, say to me, how do you know you're in perimenopause? I'm like, you just have to ask me what my age is. <laughs> you, don't, mm-hmm. exactly. you don't have to ask me anything else. I'm no. in my 40s. I'm perimenopausal. Well, I had a patient today who's on the Marina IUD and she's 48 and her doctor said, based on her hormones on the Marina IUD, that she's not in perimenopause. And I said, "Um, you are, this Mm. is perimenopause. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that Mm. interesting? Really interesting. Yeah. Now, before Mm -hmm. I go into other questions around you, Mm. uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add about the Grace's tea? No, she's just, they're special. The lovely ladies, and I hope that people understand like the three graces, which were muses to the Greek gods and goddesses, and what they represent shining, joy, and blooming. That's the goal mm. of the graces. I love it, love it. And I have to say, um, I think it is the f- my actually, no, you know what? Apollo is my favorite of the range, I have to say. <laughs> But Grace's is divine. I remember when I first put it in my mouth, I was like, oh, this is so nice. But yeah, Apollo. Now, Mm -hmm. I had a deep question for you. Yeah. This is is kind of a Greek philosophical question. You know, Greeks were philosophers and I think, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, When does life begin? When does life begin? For me, and... That is a really big question. For me, when I feel regulated in my nervous system is when I feel like I'm in present time, real life, and I'm not stuck in the past worrying and I'm not in a state of anxiety about what may or may not happen. So very much a regulated nervous system, which can be any time in my choosing and how I manage myself is when life begins. I love that. That's, uh, that's, um, that's, uh, that's out there, man. (laughs) (laughs) See, life begins for you every day. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's very sweet. But 
That is, I mean, that's reality. That's real life is when I'm in present time, in present consciousness. And to get there, I have to have a regulated nervous system mm. and a regulated nervous system shouldn't feel th threatened mm. or stressed or hypervigilant or constantly surveillancing for danger or dealing with unresolved trauma and dealing with triggers because that's not life and mm. that's what we see as patients. People are suffering. Mm. Yep. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. They need to drink more of your teas, I reckon. <laughs> now, um, which people have been your biggest inspirations in your life thus far, Anthea? Uh, um, probably a lady called Natalie Lascelles, who's a psychotherapist and um, has done a lot of deep, deep, deep work in trauma. She's very much a trauma-informed practitioner probably the most well-read in the realm of, of soul work or spirituality that I know. Um, Does she work in Sydney? Where is she based? Is she still she around? She's Sydney-based, but she currently lives in New Zealand and I think her books are closed, unfortunately. But she All good people move to New Zealand. <laughs> yes. Interesting, isn't it? Um, Marianne Williamson very much was a game changer for me and she wrote the most famous book a return to love um a woman's worth mm. so yeah that that is very profound that's had really profound impact on me the you know operating out of fear which is really a dysregulated nervous system or operating from a place of love and openness and curiosity and 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 joy. So that is that one book, A Return to Love, A Woman's Worth. Are they are they two separate? Two books? different books. Oh different yeah, books. I've heard of I, I've heard of the second mm, one, but not the first. Okay. I highly recommend them for women. We need to read these books. They're yeah, in, extremely important. Yeah. Any other inspirations? Um, look, there are so many. Sometimes it's, it'll be a patient. Sometimes it's a customer. Sometimes it's one of my team members. Sometimes it's my partner, Paul. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's like, it's like if you put up a post and you say something that just strikes a chord, then you're my inspiration. Do you know, it's, it's that, mm. that thing of, it's people who do great work, who do deep dive work, who really um, spend time doing really good work. Um, they are inspiring to me. I noticed um, um, most people skim mm, stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah. People who kind of inspire you to do better as well. And um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've noticed you've on your website. You've collaborated with a few people, Mecca. Um, mm. And uh, what I just wanted to know what your dream collaborations were, oh. if you could share those. Gosh, I know. I feel like I manifested Mecca and I manifested Van Cleef and Arpels, cute little French jewelry company, oh. um, big French jewelry company. When I say that, <laughs> um, I think the Mecca one is awesome because mm. it, it kind of. You were consulting or giving some workshops for them, is that right? Yeah, I consult there once a month and I do workshops, masterclasses. And the whole point of Mecca is inside out beauty. Yeah. It's like the first Hello. time they brought wellness into the space. Mm. Um, and, you know, they have a huge collection of natural non-toxic skincare and, and makeup that I wear. And it, it is such a weird thing because I always thought this is the way that Mecca should go and they, of course, they're naturally going to go this way and, of course, they value looking at women holistically. Um, and, you know, again, I'm not paid to say any of this. I was asked to be a part of, of their journey, their wellness journey, Inside Out Beauty, and I'm so happy because I'm going to support people who are, you know, looking at things which are, to help women feel better, not just on the surface but internally as well. And if they have customers and clients that have acne or skin irritation, it's like, well, why? Mm. Let's not just put something topically. What's the underlying? That's amazing. So is this kind of an indefinite um, 
collaboration you have with them? Is it ongoing? It's an ongoing thing, yeah. Fantastic. Which is very, which is very exciting. And, you know, dream collaboration. I think anything that could take me to Paris, I'd have to find <laughs> um, because it's my – next to Sydney, it's my favourite city. So anyone or any company that is, you know, a beautiful, you know, old world company, I don't know, imagine I could create something with them. I have to really – I keep thinking about this. Who do I want to collaborate with next? I'm going to I'm going to wait to see. I'm going to wait to see. Anticipation. <laughs> yeah. And my last question is songs that make you happy. Are you into music? Mhm. Um that lovely song Lovely Day and I've forgotten the name of the singer already and I always know it. Um I could almost sing it but I won't. <laughs> and then um I really love David Bowie's music. So let's dance is oh, it? Oh yeah. A good one. God. Yeah. So that's that's a shot in the Australian desert, wasn't it? Yeah, that film clip. That's classic. Oh my goodness, I know it is a a classic. Um, but I think those two for Bill Withers is "Lovely Day." Sorry, it just came to me. Bill Withers. I'm Bill pretty Withers. sure I've heard it. I just don't know him. Bill yeah. Withers. It's like you know, it starts when I wake up in the morning, love. And the sunlight hurts my eyes, that one. I love how you just started singing it when you said you wouldn't. I love it. Keep singing. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) And Thea, so much for talking to me today about um, the graces. And uh, next episode we're going to talk about all the others, including Apollo. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this chat with Anthea Kalouros. We talk more about her teas in the next episode of the Fanny Mechanic podcast. Share this podcast with someone if you think it will help them or inspire them to drink tea. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic show and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people I can interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.